Mikey Hangover is back. Uh, Andrew Alex is not back, uh, which is a shame, but Andrew will be back soon. But it's okay because uh, I have another friend with me who can also wear a apparel of an ACC school that is not Virginia Tech. Uh, Mike correct. McDaniel, how's it going, buddy? Good. That, that's correct. I am wearing a Georgia Tech t-shirt, and it's because... <laughs> Um, of my good sponsor for my ACC podcast, Section 103. It's a Georgia Tech apparel brand. Uh, Steven actually sent me, Steven owns a company. He sent me the t-shirt and it just says Georgia Tech on it. And he actually taped across the Georgia Tech and put Virginia Tech because we were making Sean Glennon references on my ACC podcast. I do with Joey Weaver. So it was pretty funny when I received the shirt. I thought it was hysterical when I opened it up. But yeah, very comfortable t-shirt. Section 103, if you don't really care about, you just want a comfortable t-shirt that happens to say Georgia Tech, section103.com, go check them out. I don't know that if that's going to, I don't know if that's going to appeal to any of our listenership. Probably not. You should have known by telling me that, that I was going <laughs> to hit you with that right off the rip. Uh, I knew it. I was prepared. Now, uh, Section 103, while they might make excellent t-shirts, they are not the folks that pay the bills on this podcast. Uh, Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. I don't know how long the uh, pharmacy has been around, Mikey, but um, they are about as well-respected as it's going to get in, in the NRV area, and we're very happy to have them on as a, as a sponsor of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy's the man, so that's where, <laughs> that's where it starts and ends. Um, I do think that Jeremy's uh, – loathing of matt ryan probably needs to be dialed down just a tad like and, and look i get yes. it you know like matt ryan you know ripped my heart out too that night but um for the longest time there was a i don't know if it's still there there was a a gif of of jeremy counts sitting in or standing in a a room in the merriman athletic center holding a picture of matt ryan and just ripping it in half yeah um yep. i don't know if that gif is still on the website uh jeremy if you're listening uh and it isn't on the website you should probably go ahead and put that back up there because that's some quality content yes um, definitely but in all seriousness content. yeah if you're in the nrv and you need you know you need your <laughs> pharmaceutical you know you gotta get whatever uh you need to go to main street pharmacy treat you like a neighbor not a number um if you haven't memorized that tagline yet, then you probably won't ever, but we're going to keep repeating it. Anyways, so we're actually talking about Virginia Tech football because, uh, you know, we have officially transitioned out of the basketball cycle, although um, I can imagine that we'll be talking about that a little bit uh, this summer. Uh, but right now it's football, obviously, and spring game is on the night of this recording 10 days away, uh, which is uh, pretty hard to like actually come to grips with like it's almost mid-April already um, but uh, Brent Pry, Brad Glenn uh, had a press conference today uh, for the Hokies and uh, Brad Glenn kind of was the the star of the show in terms of the kind of uh, insight he was providing and uh, to no one's surprise Mikey Grant Wells and Jason Brown have solidified themselves as the one, two, and it sounds like one of them is going to win the starting job uh, for next year. Yeah. So I want to attack this conversation like this. So Jason Brown 
graduate transfer, right, coming in, one year of eligibility left, Grant Wells, three years of eligibility left, Grant Wells, likely a higher ceiling, I think we would all agree. But the one thing I would say, though, is that with Grant Wells, I feel like to see his ceiling is going to be very dependent on what kind of offense is being run. I think what Virginia Tech's going to try to do, at least in year one, under Brent Pry with Tyler Bowen as the offensive coordinator, they're going to try to establish the run with one of the 15 running backs on the roster, whoever's left coming out of spring. Uh, they're going to try to utilize the tight ends because Virginia Tech does have some tight end depth on the roster. Um, you know, James Mitchell leaves, but they still have Nick Gallo. Um, Drake Lewis is back. They still have, you know, they got Connor Blumrick. They're going to use in some sort of hybrid tight end role. So they got some pass catchers that they can use as a tight end or a bigger slot receiver. And I think they're going to try to establish the run. And I'm not sure if that offense, that under center, hand the ball off 15 to 20 times a game, just dink and dunk to the tight ends. I'm not sure that type of offense is really going to benefit Grant Wells as much as it would Jason Brown. I think that's a perfect system for Jason Brown, like a play action type offense. And I think that Tyler Bowen's offense is going to resemble something along the lines of Penn State, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case in year one. I think that might be the case year two, year three, year four, when there's more talent coming through the door, hopefully, you know, on the recruiting trail. Virginia Tech got a recruit, by the way. We talked about that on the last podcast. Panic if you don't get a recruit by spring game. They got a recruit. He's a huge offensive line. Lance Williams, gigantic human being, like 6'3", 300 pounds. That's a story for another day. We can talk about that later if you want, Rick. But yeah, um, I think... Jason Brown is going to benefit from like that play action pass type offense. You know, I'm not sure he's going to be the guy who you want to like get back there and like sling it 35 or 40 times a game. If that's really a Grant Wells type scheme. I'm not sure you're going to see that in year one. I, I think that's the offense you're going to see eventually with Tyler Bowen, but I don't think Virginia tech has the playmakers at receiver right this second to run that type of offense, but maybe I'm wrong. Number one, and number two, like, we'll get some answers to this at spring game because the portions of the practices have been open to the media so far. They've been individual drills, so we haven't really seen what the offenses look like going 11 on 11 yet. So I think the spring game is going to tell us a lot in terms of, like, who it's going to be, Brown versus Wells. But I think it's pretty clear that those two have kind of separated themselves from Bullock and Farrell as freshmen. It's interesting you mentioned that you think Jason Brown would be a better fit in the play action because Brad Glenn uh, today in his press conference said that one of Grant Wells' strengths is his ability to throw the deep ball accurately. Um, and if you're an offense that's, you know, trying to bring defensive backs, safeties, linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage and then beating them downfield when they get themselves out of position, uh, maybe Grant Wells is your guy. Now, with that said, um, I think Jason Brown is a bit more mobile than than Grant Wells. Um, this offensive line is going to need some help. And um, having a, an ability to create uh, on the fly, I think it's going to be important. And um, admittedly, I'm not a, an expert on Grant Wells film or Jason Brown film. So, um, if, if we say anything here on the podcast that you think is wrong, go ahead and let us know. But um, Virginia Tech is going to need a bit of mobility, I think, 
uh, in this offense. Um, but to be quite honest, I'm not really sure it matters so much which one of these two guys starts because I don't think there's going to be a very big gap in between them uh, one way or the other. Yeah, and the, and the one thing that's interesting that you mentioned, um, Grant Wells throwing the deep ball accurately. And, you know, if you're going to have to play action game, you're going to take some shots over the top. You know, maybe Grant Wells is the guy. I agree with that. I guess the question now is how much confidence does Virginia Tech's coaching staff have in the current crop of receivers to win those battles, right? Um, you know, to consistently probably very little open up the defense, probably very little. I mean, I, Caleb Smith is a possession receiver, Dewan Lofton is a slot receiver. So Jaden Blue, I guess, would be a potential candidate, but you know, we're gonna have to see him in action here. He did a little bit of everything at Temple, but he's not a huge receiver either. So he's not a guy who, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one battle on the outside, except for his speed, he's very fast, but outside he's of that- somebody you that know, you want to, to get the ball in space and let him create. Right. As opposed right. to, you know, using him in the middle of zones and things like that, trying to have right. those, those chunk plays downfield where, you know, you're about to take a lick on the other end of it. Yeah. And, and and to be fair, I'm not sure that Tech has that guy on the roster. I mean, Caleb Smith is a strong guy, and he's been known to have you know very reliable hands. But Caleb, one of the things that Caleb Smith does not do particularly well is separate. Um, right. Dwayne Lofton is uh, just too much of an unknown at this point. We did not see enough of him last year. Although, Mike, you mentioned before we started recording that Dwayne Lofton did burn a year of eligibility last year. He did, he did play in, I believe, what, five games, right? So, yeah, so he played it. He played in five games at receiver, but he apparently suited up and, and participated in 12. So um, okay. special teams, I think, yeah. is, is where he, he burned the bulk of his red shirt. I know we saw him more towards the second half of the season, certainly. Yeah, but it's, you know, you, you have to hope that he got something out of that experience, especially on the offensive end. Because you're right. I mean, he theoretically is going to have to play a huge role in this offense, no matter who's starting a quarterback. Now, the, the one thing I will say is I, I hope that Grant Wells wins this job just because he's got more staying power. Um, I would hate for Virginia Tech to have to go through another round of quarterback competitions uh, next year. I think it would be nice to have some continuity at that position. Uh Virginia Tech fans would love to have some continuity at quarterback because Lord knows the Hokies haven't had any uh, in quite some time. Uh, but I, I think it would be better for the program long-term if Grant Wells wins a position. Now, with that said, if Jason Brown's beating him in practice, Jason Brown's a start. I'm not, you know, let's not get that confused. Uh, but I would rather have a guy that has some staying power and, um, you know, Grant Wells has more experience in terms of quantity than Jason Brown. Uh, you could argue that Jason Brown's experience might be a bit more valuable because it's in the SEC. Uh, but Grant Wells, um, hold on, I had his I had his numbers pulled up here before we started. He's played in twenty three games over two years. Yeah, he's played a ton, um, of, ton of football. Yeah, he's got he's got real experience. Now, granted, it's you know at Marshall, so take that for what it's worth, but. Um, he's not somebody coming in that just is kind of wet behind the ears. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, he's, he's played a lot of football. Um, obviously 
you know, playing in the Conference USA is a little bit different from playing in the ACC, but, you know, definitely has has some experience. I mean, he's got more Division One experience, FBS experience than Jason Brown does. I mean, Jason Brown transferred from St. Francis uh, to South Carolina, you know, played the one season last year and um, now ends up at Virginia Tech, which was his dream school. That's where he always wanted to play. Um, so that would be a pretty cool story if he won the starting job. But yeah, Grant Wells, certainly more staying power. I mean, if he wins the starting quarterback job, this is a guy you can envision being the starter for a couple of years after this, right? So um, this is definitely a, a, a guy that I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans want to see as the starter. Doesn't mean the coaching staff is going to just give him the job because he's got more staying power. It doesn't mean that Virginia Tech is going to give Jason Brown the job just because this is his dream school and this was you know, his final year eligibility. But I think it's really going to be offensive dependent. You know, who's going to take care of the football? Obviously, that, that's the quarterback's job to take care of the football. But I think a lot of it, too, is going to be totally dependent on what kind of offense Virginia Tech wants to be in year one, right? Um, if they want to have a more wide-open offense with, you know, slinging it all over the field and you want a more athletic guy back there, then maybe go with Grant Wells. You know, if you want a guy who is going to take care of the football and he's not going to make a ton of mistakes and – you know, he's going to be decent in the play action game and dink and dunk to receivers and tight ends. And, um, you know, maybe not blow you away with his arm, but he's going to take care of, you know, think Michael Brewer in terms of like taking care of the ball, not, not, you know, making a ton of turnovers, maybe Jason Brown's your guy. Right. So I really do think it's going to be offensive dependent. I think the ceiling that a lot of fans think Grant Wells has is going to be dependent on the type of offense that's being run. You know, are you going to be able to tap into that potential in year one? You know, are you going to be able to see that ceiling in an offense that I think is going to be inherently limited? Because I don't think Tech has a skill position talent to really push the agenda um, against some of the better defenses in the ACC. Grant Wells did throw 13 picks last year to 16 touchdowns. Now, on the flip side of that, Jason Brown threw six picks to only eight touchdowns. So neither of them have a really stellar, you know, touchdown interception ratio, but um, hopefully we'll learn a bit at the spring game. I'm really hoping that we get to see the quarterbacks do some things. Uh, next week, we'll actually talk about, you know, specifics that we want to see out of the spring game. But one of the things just kind of looking forward to the 16th, I want to see the quarterbacks be given opportunities uh, to push the ball downfield a little bit. I want to see more than just throw us to the flat. Uh, I want to see more than just, you know, those, those quick hitters, I want to see them to try and run some concepts and see which of those guys are able to navigate defensive coverages and get the ball downfield. So I feel like that would be now granted, obviously that's be, me being selfish, right? Like I want, I want to see as much as possible, but I think that would be good for the program. Um, another thing that we should probably hit on as it relates to quarterbacks, um, my, Pipe dream of Taj Bullock becoming the starter for the 2022 season is most likely dead. Pretty dead, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like plus a million uh, if we're looking at odds right now. So, um, if you had to, if you had to give me odds on Taj Bullock being on the Virginia Tech roster comes, what is it, September 2nd when Virginia Tech opens the season against ODU in my backyard? Uh, which is still kind of blows my mind right that Virginia Tech is traveling to Norfolk to open the season. Uh, 
Got bad memories from the last time I went there. Dude, don't yeah. Um so if you had to give me odds on Taj Bullock staying on the roster, what would you set those at? Does he beat out Devin Farrell? I'm not sure it matters. Because even if he's not. even if he's the third guy, because I I do think that they would rather redshirt Devin Farrell. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, they, they definitely. Yeah. I, I yeah, they want to they want to redshirt Devin Farrell. Absolutely. So, um, even if Taj Bullock is the third guy, the chances that he sees the field are not great. Now, if Justin Fuente was coaching this team, then I would say absolutely the third quarterback is definitely going to see the field because right. quarterback injuries and Justin Fuente go hand in hand when they're in Blacksburg. Um, I would, I would like to hope that that will be a bit different and that the guys that Virginia tech have brought in will be a bit sturdier and they won't be used as battering Rams. So Taj Bullock, if he is the number three, the chances that he starts are, are very limited. And let's say Grant Wells wins the job, right? So Taj Bullock is not only the third quarterback on the depth chart, but the guy who's starting has two more years after this. So I'm not really sure it matters if he's even the third guy. I think if he doesn't beat out Devin Farrell, I would set those odds pretty high that he's definitely gone. But even if he does beat out Devin Farrell, I think it's a fair shot that he's not here after the spring. Yeah, and it depends on how patient he's going to be in terms of his overall development, right? Um very few guys are patient nowadays. Right. No, I, and he, I agree. And he, didn't, and he didn't commit to the staff. It, yeah, he didn't. And I, I think the the biggest hindrance now moving forward for Taj Bullock is the fact that Grant Wells is now in the quarterback room. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, you know, if he wasn't, Bullock, it was just Jason Brown. Right. Then, you know, 2023, you're looking at Taj Bullock, Devin Farrell, and maybe a freshman. Right. And, I mean, for Bullock, he's he's a redshirt freshman with four years of eligibility left, right? And Grant Wells is a redshirt sophomore with three years of eligibility left. So there's potential that if Grant Wells wins a starting job, you are never going to play at Virginia Tech, barring injury. So, yeah. and, and that's before, and, and, you know, I raised the Devin Farrell question to you a minute ago, and that's before you even take that into account, right? Like, say Devin Farrell's not even in the mix, right? Just... I know he I know he is like as a as a depth backup and he's got a future in Blacksburg, I think, certainly. Um the staff seems to like him, but let's take him out of the equation for a second. Let's say it was Jason Brown, Grant Wells, and Bullock. Well, Brown's gone after a year, but Wells still has two years of eligibility left after after this year, right? And Bullock would have three. I mean, the earliest he could see the field barring injury would be senior year. I mean, that's not that stuff doesn't happen at Virginia Tech. It happens it at Ohio State. It happens right. at Alabama. It, it, it can happen at, you know, these these bigger programs where guys have an incentive to stick around because they're being coached by elite level coaches and um, they're obviously being a part of winning programs and, and, and being a part of a winning program has its own benefits. But you have a program that's, you know, clearly in the middle of a rebuild. Right. Uh, and you might have might have to sit for three more years. Right. Um, you're you're probably going to look elsewhere. So 
Yeah, I mean, to, to me, go back to your original question, I, I think the answer is no, I don't think he'll stick around. Yeah, I, I, I would set the odds at, that he sticks around at like one in four. Yeah, I was going to say um, about 25%. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. So but, I, and, I, I, I think it's quite, it feels inevitable at this point, unfortunately. It does. Um, I, I think for Bullock to really think about staying, he would have had to have broken into that discussion that Brad Glenn just had with reporters today, right? Where Brad Glenn is saying, all right, Brown and Wells have separated themselves. You know, Bullock would have had to be in that conversation for him to be like, all right, like I got a yeah, shot to play he, here. Yeah, if he had if he had maybe finished second in this quarterback race this year, I could see him sticking around. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, I agree. because that's, he's going to get more experience um, in practice as the backup than he will as the number three. If he's the number three, he's basically running scout team again. And um, that's just, that's not, that's not all that great for his development, you know, personally. So, uh, I, I hope it doesn't happen. I want to be wrong on this because, again, I am a I'm a believer in the tools that Bullock has. Um, I've always kind of liked his 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 ceiling. I knew it would kind of take a while for him to get there, but um, unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, guys have well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's a good thing that guys have options. Um, it's a bad thing as a fan because it's really hard to develop guys long term. In, in order to have those those long-term projects, you feel like they have to get, you know, a, a taste of the field pretty early on, and you've got to continue giving them a bigger role as opposed to letting them basically take two redshirt years, you know, and have them do nothing but uh, eat right and lift weights for yeah. two full years, right. which, which, I mean, quite honestly, like everyone could use that, right? Like every every person that shows up in a college football program could use two years of eating right and lifting weights and, and, and go into a proper conditioning program. But again, hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm not really feeling it. Um, we briefly touched on this, but it seems like Connor Blumwork has officially been uh, removed from the quarterback room. I, for one, am on board with it. Yep. Uh, what I'm not on board with is him cutting his hair. Um, <laughs> yeah. What like the hell? I saw, <laughs> I believe it was Andy, Andy Bitter uh, with The Athletic, uh, who tweeted a picture of, of Connor at the press conference. And I was like, there's no way that that's Connor Blumrick. I don't believe you. Um, but I, I am curious to see the kind of role he ends up having. And shout out to my buddy Stephen Newman, who literally called this, this comp uh, about two weeks ago. Tyler Bowen was at the press conference today, and he compared Connor Blumrick to Tommy Stevens a former Penn state quarterback. And I swear to God, my buddy, Steven messaged me like two months ago, or, you know, it was like two weeks ago and was like, you know, we were trying to come up with a comp for Blumrick. I actually talked about it on this podcast, how we didn't really have one. And after he listened, he messaged me and he was like, Tommy Stevens at Penn state is the best one I can come up with. And sure as hell, Tyler Bowen agrees. So <laughs> good for you, Steven. I'm glad that you saw that one. But I am curious to see what kind of role he plays, um, given that he's not going to provide you much in the in the in the running game as a blocker. Um, and he doesn't have much experience doing this. I, I think he's really just going to be used in that hybrid 
split out tight end role where he's lining up in the slot and they're going to try to get him on linebacker where it's a matchup nightmare because Brent Pry has talked about it already. Tyler Bowen has talked about already that Lumbrick is going to be a problem for linebackers, which means he's got some speed, which we saw speed athleticism, you know, lanky guy. Uh, I could see how that would be a difficult matchup for some bigger body linebackers in the ACC. And I think that they are going to try to use Blumrick in that role where they can split him out and get him in position where, you know, he can win or, or at least at the very least, even if he's not winning those battles, at least, you know, make the defenses think about it for guys underneath, right? Um, Dewan Lofton, Jaden Blue, um, you know, Jalen Jones, whoever it ends up being, you know, make these defenders think about the big guy on the outside, you know, the 6'3", six, 6'4", athletic player on the outside and I think he can be that guy I think you line up on the outside line up in the slot um, he's not going to be an absolute burner um, but I think he is going to cause some some matchup problems and unlike the last staff I think this offensive staff at least my hope is that they'll be able to exploit mismatches a little bit better than the last staff was able to um, with better players you know I felt like the last staff had a lot of talent that was wasted and I feel like this staff, you know, there's potential in year one to maybe do a little bit more with less in terms of the talent that's remaining on the roster. I don't expect this to be a very good offense, Rick. And, no. you know, I, I feel like if we set the bar low, you know, and maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised, you know, in some games, but there's just a talent deficiency at some of the skill positions. And I think Virginia Tech's got to find a way to, either get some running, get some talent out of the running backs to, to play receiver, whether that's Chance Black, which I know is, he's the, he's the guy a lot of people are talking about, you know, use him as a slot receiver because he played slot receiver in high school, you know, maybe get him out of the running back mix, um, maybe create another skill position playmaker. But Tech's just kind of low on those guys right now, Rick. And even the, even the young talent at receiver, they haven't played much, right? I mean, we just talked about Lofton burning, you know, a year of eligibility, but, you know, he really didn't play much receiver until the second half of the year. You know, it, it was really a special teams year and, and he was a depth piece and he didn't really get a lot of playing time at receiver until really the end of the year. So I'm expecting him to take a pretty big step forward. I think a, a, the new staff's going to be good for him. Um, and he's in a role now where he's going to, he's going to be playing, I think a significant amount this fall. So I think it's perfect for him. Um, and, and I think that, you know, he's got potential to really develop into a nice option at receiver for tech, but you know, you gotta be patient with all these guys. I mean, Jalen Jones, how, how often did the staff talk about Jalen Jones last year? You know, um, you know, Richmond did. That staff talked about a lot of people that we never saw anything. That we never saw that we never saw. I mean, even, the way they hyped up Raheem Blackshear and, and Blackshear was good during his time at tech, but the way they were hyping up Blackshear during the COVID year, talking about how he's going to do all this stuff. And then they just never used him in that role. It's not even that Blackshear yeah. couldn't, it's not even that Blackshear couldn't do the things they were saying. It's that they never, the coaching staff never put him in position to do the things they were saying. Right. They're like, Oh, yeah. he can line up in the, he can line up in the backfield. You know, he can, he can take some snaps at, you know, take some snaps at quarterback. He can play, you know, split him out at receiver. 
you know, the Swiss army knife where they just want to get the ball in his hands. And then they didn't do enough of that. That drove me crazy. And yeah, <laughs> we, we knew what kind of player he was when he got the ball in his hands, Rick. Like we knew he could be that type of guy. Like, you know, what else, player. you know what else drives me crazy? Um, prior to his arrival in Blacksburg, Connor Blumrick was not a quarterback. <laughs> right. And or he was, he was, he was buried on the depth chart behind Kellen Mond at A&M. And then they moved him to tight end or H back or whatever it was. Then they bring him back to tech as a quarterback. Right. And then now we're going to put him back at like receiver or tight end because Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, you know, you're trying to Justin Fuente, big ideas guy. He's like, you know what? Jimbo Fisher, <laughs> big Jimbo Fisher guy. didn't know what he was missing. Right. Jimbo Fisher didn't know what he was missing with <laughs> as a quarterback. So we're going to put him at quarterback. And they didn't even win the starting job. And then they wouldn't use him at receiver or tight end. The staff, new staff comes in with pride. And they're like, you know what? Jimbo Fisher, one of the better coaches in the country, he might have had that right. Maybe, maybe Blumberg shouldn't be a quarterback. It's like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, oh, by the way, we, we go back real quick. I know we're jumping around a little bit. But this, this pertains to the offense, I promise. You know how... You know, we were talking about Lawson moving, you know, back to defense. And, you know, I talked about how stuff got blown out of context. And, you know, I had a, I had a tweet that went out. This was before we hit record, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the listeners are not privy yeah. to this conversation. Okay, so I'll catch them up. So <laughs> I, I had a tweet that went out when Kelly Lawson committed during the COVID year, when he committed to Virginia Tech. Because Kelly Lawson, real rangy, you know, six four, six five, wiry, really good athlete. His film was insane in high school. And it was clear that he got he got a um, 24-7 sports, gave him a fourth star towards the end of his recruiting cycle. I don't think he was a consensus four-star, but, um, you know, he got a bump in the rankings. And he was a guy who was really athletic on film, and a lot of his film was showing him on the defensive side. He certainly played some receiver in high school, but most of the highlights on his film were from him playing all over the place on defense, right? He was playing some safety, playing some linebacker, lineup all over the field. What was really funny to me was I sent out a tweet and I was comparing him to Isaiah Simmons at Clemson. Not in not that Lawson was going to turn into Isaiah Simmons, right? But he was the type of guy who was kind of positionless on the defense, could line up everywhere. So my tweet got ratioed because of course it did. That's obviously not what I meant. I just meant in terms of like he was kind of positionless and athletic and they were trying to, you know, make the most out of him defensively. So what's Justin Fuente do in year one? It's like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna play him at receiver. So Lawson never saw the field, did not burn his red shirt. So he's got four years of eligibility left. And Brett, you know what Brent Pry does? He's a defensive guy, right, Rick? You know what Brent Pry says? He says, you know what, we're moving Lawson to linebacker. <laughs> he's gonna play defense. It just, it, it drives me crazy, but, you know, all, all that to say that, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech's in a spot where there are some guys on this team that I think are athletic and can contribute, just maybe not in the positions that they're currently in. And I think that's a big part of the spring and the evaluation process for Brent Pry. clearly. I mean, we, we, we used an entire podcast last week to talk about that, and you know, we're still kind of talking about some of these position changes with, with loss and moving to linebacker. Um, and, you know, Virginia Tech, we talked about last week, you know, they were trying to move Chance Black maybe from running back, maybe using Summit receiver. And I think all these are good things, but, you know, why could we see it? 
last year were like, these guys should not be playing in these positions. Like, why are we playing this guy at receiver? Why are we playing this guy at running back where he's buried on the depth chart? He can really help us in the slot where outside of Tavion Robinson, we're really struggling right now. We all saw it, and now Brent Pry sees it, and it's just like, what was that coaching staff doing last year? I will, I will never let down the fact that when when Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson needed quarterback depth, they went and got a wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I will, I will never forget that. Um, yeah. Went, a, went to A&M, went to A&M and got a guy that Jimbo Fisher said couldn't play quarterback and Jimbo Fisher. I mean, he catches a lot of, he catches a lot of shit. And sometimes I think it, it's funny and it's warranted other times it's not. But the one thing we can say about Jimbo Fisher is that he knows how to evaluate quarterbacks. And if he says that you're not a quarterback, you're not a quarterback. Yes. Um, kind of going back to Kelly Lawson, you know, this, this, field linebacker spot, this third linebacker position. Um, Brent Pry was talking today about how, you know, that that position in particular needs those uh, those kind of hybrid safety uh, linebacker skills. And it sounds a lot to me like this is basically just the same whip position that Virginia Tech has had for years. Um they're just probably going to be lining up a bit differently. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that in the spring game, exactly how this position, you know, is used in the defense and where they line up and um, what kind of matchups they're going to be getting on a consistent basis. But, like, if you look at the guys that are actually playing in this spot right now, so J.R. Walker, who is a former safety, uh, is playing in that spot right now. Keontae Jenkins, same thing, former yep. safety. Kelly Lawson, wide receiver turned linebacker. So the 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 kind of athleticism uh, that you might see from a defensive back is going to be playing in this spot. So while Virginia Tech may be go- going back to more of a four three type defense, I think that may only may only matter in terms of like positioning and alignment. I'm not sure it's really going to matter all that much in terms of the kinds of players that you want in that spot. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, the linebacker position itself, I think, is certainly evolving, right? And, oh, absolutely, especially those those outside linebackers. It's definitely evolving. And I'm not just talking about with, with this staff. or I'm talking, like, in general in college football. Oh, yeah. It, the position is definitely evolving, right? I mean, we are so far removed. I mean, I remember when I was a freshman – at Tech, you know, the, the Virginia Tech defense had, like, Chase Williams and Ronnie Van Dyke. Um, how far removed are we from those guys, right? How far removed are we from Andrew Matua-Pawaka and Tremaine Edmonds, right? And, like, that wasn't... Well, Tremaine is... Tremaine's probably not the best example because he can play linebacker anywhere. And he plays outside. But, he plays outside at the NFL. But, but Motu is absolutely a great example because one of the things Motu struggled with a lot um was his his ability to hold up in man-to-man he wasn't all that bad in in zone coverage and uh, he had some issues in the run game but he he was physically outmatched 
in those those one-on-one matchups. Yeah, Tremaine Edmonds can line up. Tremaine Edmonds is probably, yeah, a poor example. I was talking more from that, like, that era. But the, yeah, like, Chase Williams, even Jack Tyler. Like, Jack Tyler. All of yeah. the, all of the line, you know, uh, God, there's another, another name I can't think of. But basically any linebacker. Deion from, Clark. Like, yeah. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, Deion Clark was a de facto defensive end. Right. He was basically right. an edge rusher for, for right. all intents and purposes. Um, right. So, yeah, th- this, this position now requires you to be so versatile. Uh, not only do you have to hold up in the run game and you've got to be able to get off blocks and fill gaps, but you've got to, you know, go from that to being able to cover a 6'3", 250-pound tight end or a 5'11", 195-twitchy guy in the slot. Yeah. Um, yep. We you, saw... You've got to be able to do so many different things, and that's it's not easy. It's incredibly difficult to find people that can do those sorts of things. Yeah. I. I mean, I think like when Tremaine Edmonds came to Virginia Tech, I think that's when you started to see, that was kind of the, the pivot point where you started to see the defenses become more versatile, right? It was now a linebacking core that included Tremaine Edmonds and included Mook Reynolds as the whip, right? Like that's when it started to change, right? Because now Virginia Tech is in a de facto 4-2-5, right? Where before under Bud, you know, they're lining up with, you know, three or four defensive linemen. Three it was it was eight in the box very consistently. Eight in the box and all the time. Depending on who they were playing, sometimes you might get nine. Like right. Georgia Tech, Tech with Paul yeah, Johnson. The, the, Bud had no problems stacking up the box and putting, you know, putting his guys in one on one coverage using his his base uh his base package. But nowadays it's just so different how Offenses are literally just spreading it out on every possession. You know, very few programs still run kind of a a a traditional um, power offense or even offenses with two tight ends. It, it, it's very rare that you see two tight end packages in college now. Right. Um, you know, there are the rare exceptions: uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. But Big Ten, you, Big Ten country. Yeah, a, a lot, of, a lot of Big Ten, yeah. Big Ten schools. But you go down to the SEC, you play these ACC schools, you play the Pac-12, um, you play the Big Twelve, especially. Like, it's basically like pace and space in, in basketball. It's just try and put as many athletes as you can, spread them out as far as you can, and make the defense cover more ground. Uh, yeah, which puts tremendous stress on those linebackers. I'm glad you brought up Mook Reynolds. I know, you know, his tenure in Blacksburg didn't end well, but Mook was easily my favorite defensive player when he was here. Um, He was so damn good. Like it was, it was sick how he could go from playing that, you know, that free hitter role in Bud's defense, keeping contain on those runs and then find himself in man-to-man coverage and holding up quite nicely, I might add, uh, against various athletes. And um, he was just a really, really special talent. Yeah, no, he was he was a really good, really good player. Um, and it was crazy because he was only like six feet, one ninety. Right. 
and yeah. he was able he was able to hold up in the run game. He was able to play physical and um he plays more physical than a lot of 240 pound linebackers do. Yeah, and he, outside of that shoulder injury, he was able to stay relatively healthy too. Um, you know, despite everything that was asked of him as basically a defensive back that was asked to play, you know, in the slot and in the box and he, he was a playing bit corner he was playing safety he was playing yeah. uh linebacker he played de facto defensive end i mean the heat they lined him up everywhere and you know tech could certainly use somebody like that but you know one of the things i'm hoping to see in the spring game is exactly how that player how that position is used where are they going to be lined up how often are we going to see them in the box how often are we going to see them split wide um, and what kind of challenges are going to be asked or, or, or presented to those guys? Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think you're going to get, you're going to see a lot of those athletes up, right? Like at, at those outside linebacker spots, you're, you're going to see, you know, Lawson, you're going to see J.R. Walker, um, you know, Chamari Connor is going to line up everywhere um i mean that brent pry specifically said shamari connor is really the only one in the defense right now is playing at the at the speed you you'd expect right or the speed that he wants out of his defense which not a huge surprise given you know connor's a veteran presence right and he is the veteran presence i guess on the defense you know outside of Dax. so you know not a huge surprise there but yeah, Virginia Tech's going to – the defense, I'm really looking forward to watching defense play because there is certainly still some talent on that side of the ball, and I think this It actually team, feels like there's some potential there where, like, Tech could be an above-average unit defensively. I I don't think there's any chance, and, you know, I, I say this, and Virginia Tech will end up with a top-30 offense next year. Right. Um, I don't think there's any chance that the Hokies are going to be an above, even an average offense. Um, it, it's going to be – you know, kind of, again, we've been talking a lot about the Justin Fuente era on this podcast, but everyone remembers the three and a half hour stomach ache quote. Right. And uh, that was certainly true in the Fuente era. And I think it's going to be true again this year. I mean, a lot of these games are going to be really, really hard to watch offensively yeah. because the Hokies, like you, like we, we've said multiple times now, just do not have the athletes on offense in order to open things up. So offensively, I, I, I think we all can kind of agree that it's going to be a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a mess for most of the year. Defensively, though, you feel like there's, there's some legit room for this team to grow and, and be an above average unit. Yeah, I mean, and, and I especially think, with Pry running the show. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what the defense looks like. I'm excited to see Pry bring Chris Marv along, right? I mean, that's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to because I definitely think there's potential there with, with Chris Marv. And I think the setup is, you know, if you're Marv, right, and you're a new defensive coordinator and, you know, you got a guy like Brent Pry, a defensively-minded head coach, a guy who's, you know, had plenty of top 15 defenses at Penn State, you have him not only as your mentor for basically your entire coaching career, um, and you also played for the guy, right? But 
you also have him bringing you along in your first defensive coordinator role. This isn't like Justin Hamilton, right, where he was a first-time defensive coordinator and didn't really have anybody to lean on. This is totally different. Um, this is, this is, you know, there's potential for Marv to, you know, obviously really develop into a competent defensive coordinator because we know Pry can do it, right? And you know Pry is going to bring him along, and it's going to be interesting. Um, the setup's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how the defense looks. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, young guys contribute and, and guys who have been here for a little bit that haven't gotten a ton of playing time, like a J.R. Walker, you know, who's a redshirt sophomore, still got three years eligibility left after the COVID year, you know, and, and he was a four-star recruit, like obviously was very talented coming out of high school. Does, does he turn into something? So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what the defense looks like. And I, I think if this is an above average unit, right? If that's what this turns into and Virginia Tech's offense can be somewhat competent, right? I mean, don't shoot yourself in the foot too often, score 21 to 24 points per game. There's no reason why Virginia Tech couldn't win seven or eight in that scenario, right? Even with the talent deficiency, you know, at some of the positions on offense and even some of the positions on defense. So the defense is always further along than the offense, Ricky, right? Um, in the spring, but also under a new coaching staff and they're learning a new scheme, all that stuff. Um, so it's not a surprise. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Virginia Tech's defense, number one, be further along in the offense in the fall, but number two, just be the better unit, just based on who the head coach is at this point and uh, based on you know what I, what I personally perceive the talent to be on the defense versus the offense. I think the defense is certainly the more talented of the two units, but I, I think what Virginia Tech fans are most looking forward to this fall is the fact that because it's year one, I don't want to say the record, the record doesn't matter, but I think everybody was so eager for a change and something different and something new that I think the football season is going to be exciting in a lot of ways, right? And it's not going to be pretty all the time, you know? Virginia Tech's going to have some losses where they look totally hapless, I think, um, offensively and maybe even defensively, where they lay an egg and you're like, man, we, we don't know what the, the end goal is going to be, right? We don't know what this team's going to be eventually under Brent Pry, but we know that that version of it is not what we're looking for, right? There are going to be some games like that this fall. There always is in the middle of a rebuild, but all I'm asking for as, as a fan is to see some progress incrementally throughout the year right and I don't I don't want to set the bar too low but you know if tech comes out and doesn't play well in the first month of the year you know ordinarily you know under under Fuente and like year three or four you would be writing the season off but under Pry like I'm not going to quit on the team in the middle of the year because I'm going to be so interested in seeing the development right like how does this team bounce back from a really poor performance or you know, how does a team bounce back if one position group didn't look particularly good, but Tech still won a game, right? How's that position group bounce back the following week or, you know, as you get, as you get more data as the season goes on. So that's the part I'm looking forward to most this fall is just seeing like the growth and development, because I feel like we were kind of robbed of that under Fuente, right? There wasn't really growth or development with younger players for the most part. You know, there were some circumstances with the offensive line. We talked about there, saw and Tanuta and, you know, I don't want to be totally disingenuous because there were some 
success stories on our last staff, but there were a lot of situations where talent was wasted too. And I'm interested to see if that changes under this new staff. I'm hopeful. The win losses matter, but what matters more is kind of along the lines of what you're referring to, but I want to see the establishment of a winning culture and I want to see um, I want to see that growth from a game to game, you know, month to month basis. So yes, I do think Virginia Tech should make a bowl game. I think they should make a bowl game every year. There's no excuse not to. The schedule, especially in the AC Coastal, is easy enough where you should next fall you should too. be able to. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Liberty is the last non-con game in mid-November. Um, I don't know what they're going to like without Malik Willis. <laughs> different, um, yeah, different is is an easy way to put it. Uh, yeah. Wofford, like, I mean, this isn't basketball. So, Old Dominion. Um, I mean, you're just at a certain point. You're like, all right, guys, you know, like what? There should be six wins in there. Like it's right. they're they're there. So right. I, I'm tech needs to make a bowl game. But yes, more importantly, I think establishing the foundation and the culture is is extremely important. And if that means that tech goes six and six, so be it. Uh, because theoretically, this is not going to be the best roster that Brent Pry has to work with. Right. In his tenure, um, the one thing too I want to add real quick that I, I didn't um, that I didn't mention is like I want to see Tech compete in some of the tougher games on their schedule. Now I understand there's not a lot of tough games on the schedule on paper, right? Relative to and we know Miami is going to be a problem. My, my, the, I'm thinking the Miami game, um, Carolina to, potentially, depending on what the quarterback West situation Virginia. looks like, and West Virginia. Yeah, those are the three. NC State. I mean, they're NC State is always yeah. I'm not saying NC State's like a you know top twenty team, but NC State's always is always good enough, right? Where they're going to at least be competitive. I mean, no, Doran's it's yeah, it's very rare that that his teams are below second or third in the in the conference and they got a veteran quarterback coming back in Devin Leary that's very good but they're losing some skill position talent so it's all about you know kind of what what they replace um but I mean NC State is not going to be an easy matchup for Virginia Tech I mean I think on paper NC State is probably a three or four point favorite right now you know I'm no I'm no handicapper but I'd favor NC State in that game given who they have coming back but yeah, I, I want to see Virginia Tech like step up and play well in, in big spots, right? That doesn't mean you maybe that doesn't mean you win the game in year one, but be competent, be in position to to play well. You know, you get Miami at home, right? So, you know, in, in a big spot at home when maybe you're a, a touchdown or a 10, 10 point underdog, maybe scare them a little bit, right? Like nobody's expecting you to necessarily win that game in year one, but if you go out and win that game, upset, you know, upset somebody all the better. Right. And especially considering, you know, who Miami could potentially be in a couple of years, you know, under Cristobal is a very, very good football coach also in year one, but with more talent to work with than Virginia Tech does. So that's going to be a really important game for Virginia Tech to win, you know, 
two or three times every five years. That's going to be a really, really important game on the schedule. It's an important game every year, but Miami is going to be a team that I think is going to start pulling top five recruiting classes instead of top 10. And they're going Talent's to be never been the issue though with Miami. No, but I it's think all, it's, it's all about them establishing a culture there that is conducive to winning. And they haven't been able to do it since the early 2000s. Agree. I think Cristobal is the guy to do it though. And I, I, I think he's got a better shot than yeah. most, but I thought the same about Mark Richt. And, yeah. um, you know, we saw them have that one season, uh, 2017, I believe, where, you know, they went to the AC championship game and like a 5,000 turnover differential didn't make got, any game sense. Got ran over by Clemson yeah. and then got ran over by Wisconsin in the bowl game. So, um, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that's the case again because I, true I, freshman I, Kenny Pickett right after they on Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving, I, true freshman Kenny Pickett. I, I enjoy very few things more than Miami disappointing folks. Um, if last if thing, Cristobal, sorry, if Cristobal doesn't work in Miami, Ricky, nobody does. Know, yeah, nobody. Yeah, does, the only right? one at that point is Nick Saban. I think that would work better than his other trip to Miami a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, the college um, level, college level so, work better than the pro. Yeah. So just to wrap things up, and you mentioned this earlier, Lance Williams commits to the Hokies, uh, first commit of the Brent Pry era. Um, he is a pretty big man. He's yeah, listed huge. at six four, three hundred. Um, look, I looked at his offer list. And it's not bad. It, it, it's not, it's not going to jump off the sheet. Right. But he's got some decent ones on here. Cincinnati, Kentucky, Memphis, uh, Purdue, South Carolina, West Virginia, um, notably Tennessee, uh, the school not too far away from where he lives uh, did not offer, but um, you know, he's listed as an interior offensive lineman. I hope that Virginia tech is able to pull at least, two guys to play tackle in this class. Maybe he ends up becoming that guy, who knows, but um, you know, for folks that thought that Brent Pry and Chris Marv and Tyler Bowen and, and the, and Joe Rudolph and all these guys were, you know, just chilling at the house, you know, cooking steaks and uh, tweeting out fun videos, you know, they are actually recruiting. Uh, they did get somebody and I would, you know, I would assume that we'll have, you know, in the podcast after spring game, we'll have at least another two or three guys. That's what I would say too. To yep. to talk about that'll that'll probably commit. Yeah. Um. If if Virginia Tech doesn't get any commits at spring game, I think that's a, that'll be pretty disappointing because like right. spring game is supposed to be a big driver in recruiting every year yep. for every program, not just Tech, but especially Tech, given that you're you're able to get guys in. You know a a mock game atmosphere in Blacksburg, let them experience the atmosphere, the camaraderie between the fans, um, the turnout at spring game, which is always uh, far and above Virginia Tech's, you know, competitors in the ACC. Yep. Um, you would think that that would generate at least a couple. So hopefully we'll have two or three more guys to, to talk about. Um, if you're looking for like guys who are on the verge of committing, you've come to the wrong place. Uh, I don't pay attention to recruiting that much uh, or that closely, I should say. Um, but 
you know, hopefully we'll have some, some more guys to talk about and, you know, who knows, maybe some of them will be, you know, really intriguing guys. It seems to be, you know, moving in a halfway decent direction. You know, we were trying to caution people, you know, stay, yeah, it, it, stay there's no need to panic. Like yeah. the guy has been around for basically four months and, right. um, Mike, if you didn't, if you hadn't met someone until, you know, four months ago, would you commit to spending potentially three to five years with them? Yeah. Like working with them. Yeah. Like maybe, but. But you, but, but you, but you, 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 know, <laughs> right? you wouldn't, you wouldn't just sign on the dotted line. Right. Like, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be evaluating the landscape like everybody else. You exactly. Know? Especially when you've got other people recruiting you for your services. So, um, yeah people just need to you know give it some time and look if there's anyone in the virginia tech media world that will be willing to criticize it's most likely me so um if you're saying if, pump the brakes we should pump yeah the brakes. If, if i'm telling people they should have caution and, and give the staff some time i think people should caution and give the staff some time yeah i, I um, think uh I, I think the the class of 24 and the class of 25 is where we're really going to start to get a sense of how this staff can recruit. Yeah, um, absolutely. And if, if it's, you know, I don't know what, what people's expectations are, but like I said, in the last podcast, if Virginia tech pulls in a top 35 class uh, this year in year one, when Fry had no time to really, established relationships outside of the ones they cultivated at Penn State, you know, where, you know, maybe he recruited some of the same guys. I think that probably bodes well moving forward if he's able to cobble something together with limited time to build the relationships with these kids, you know. So there's definitely some crossover, but there are a lot of new kids, I'm sure, on the board that he has not really spoken to before. He's trying to pull to Blacksburg. So we'll see. Yeah, and and again, and I've said this numerous times, but to me, the player development matters a whole hell of a lot more than where they're going to finish in the recruiting rankings because a school that's in a town with you know what is it forty to fifty thousand people um, is is going to struggle to finish in the top fifteen in any recruiting for any sport. So right. um, I'm more concerned about the player development. Anything else yeah. with tech before we you know get close to wrapping this up? I have one quick comment i want to make that isn't tech related so anything you got um i was just gonna say ideally you know virginia tech is in a position where they get um you know their fair share of four stars but they develop those guys too you know because virginia tech's been in a spot now in recent years where they haven't pulled those guys and they also haven't developed players so that's how you develop a losing program right i'll be I'll be shook when I see a four star actually live up to the billing. Uh, right. Cause we haven't right. seen that in a few years. So I'm, right. I'm hoping that's the case. Right. And the ones, the ones that were performing to the billing left town, right. Tavion, uh, Tavion, that that's a killer. I would love to have yeah, that still. one. That one that's sucks. Things. Yeah. Um, so my, my closing bit today is just a, a sincere, uh, heartfelt congratulations to the NCAA for hosting a sham of a title game um, <laughs> between one program facing five level one sanctions uh, versus another program 
that was wrongly let off the hook for academic fraud just a few years ago. Um, so but did you, to, but did you enjoy the basketball? But so th- 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 that's not relevant. Um, <laughs> so not to, to everyone at the, the NCAA. To everyone at the NCAA, thank you uh, and congratulations for ruining all of the integrity related to your sport, specifically basketball. Um, everyone knows that uh, college basketball is um, just full of honorable, respectable people that don't violate any recruiting regulations whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and I mean, Bill Self to come on, right? Like just such yeah. an absolute legendary coach. He you know, needs to do it. Has never side has never sidestepped the rules once uh, in his time at Kansas, <laughs> and just an absolute um, genuine leader and a respectable person as, as a head coach of a basketball program. I respect the hell out of Bill Self and, and all of the um, all the work he's done at Kansas. Just really spot on. On a serious note, I will say this: um, you know, I, I, obviously, I, I can't root for Carolina in anything, but. Uh, Hubert Davis is a pretty damn good coach. Yeah, he is. And um, I would I would argue that he right now is better than Roy Williams was at the end of Roy's tenure. Roy said it. Like not it. Like not in not in Roy's prime, but right. Um, when Roy left, like he was he was really starting to struggle in terms of recruiting, developing, coaching. Hubert Davis has, has surpassed that after year one. Now, can he sustain it? I don't know. But he certainly looks like he's got his his stuff together, um, and you know if they're if they're going to you know keep offering those paper classes, then uh, I've I've no doubt that Carolina will will <laughs> rebound and become just a, 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 a you know a vestigial piece of the honor that is college basketball in that entire industry. So, Roy Williams, Roy Williams said um, during Carolina's run, he said Hubert Davis is coaching better than I ever did which I mean is a little, a little facetious, but I mean, he's Huber coaching Davis better than Roy run. was when Roy left. Because, I agree. And Roy um, would tell you that Roy was doing less with more. Right. And uh, Hubert Davis is doing more with more. So, right. you know, give, right. give Hubert David his props for, you know, getting Carolina who was, you know, really on the ropes, um, in the on regular the season on the bubble and then and then and then they lose to tech in the tournament and it's like well this team's got no chance they, they might win one game but then they're right. donezo after that so um credit to the players for for their hard work um and yeah i'm I, i'm very happy that you know we got to experience that that incredible um incredible <laughs> moment that is uh, a, a college basketball game between two honorable programs. <laughs> and, you know, now we can get back to uh, college football, which uh, is just does not hold a candle at all to, to the, the dignity and the <laughs> honor of, of college basketball's champion, Kansas. Listen, listen, you are never going to get an argument for me about the NCAA and their poor ethical judgment. <laughs> But what I will say was I enjoyed the basketball. I enjoyed the tournament. It was good, good, good basketball. Yes, um, yes. The the uh, the actual players themselves. Yes. Uh, put together a very entertaining uh couple weeks of basketball. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, can I can say that while also saying yes. that is an a- it is an absolute yes. uh joke. Sorry, 
an absolute treat for us that we got to see such tremendously respectable programs like Kansas and North Carolina that have always towed the line and, and represent the best of, of, of college basketball. Yes. Um, we are, we are absolutely blessed and I'm thankful that we got to experience that uh, because there's nothing better uh, for role models of, of kids in high school than uh, getting to see two programs uh, duke it out on the national stage, both of which have complete control of their programs and would never do anything wrong in their lives. I mentioned this during halftime when Kansas was down 15. I tweeted this out. I said, I think 15 points is the threshold where Bill Self calls up the Adidas reps and tries to get more talent on the court for a second half. So we, we are not, we are certainly not immune to the uh, poor ethics that the NCAA presents. Uh, Kansas was implicated with the five level one violations in the fall of 2019. It is now the spring of 2022 and they still have <laughs> not received any punishment for that. Um, the coach, other coaches that were implicated in you know, with those violations have all faced severe punishment. Most recently, Will Wade, the coach of LSU, who was let go before the tournament. And LSU was playing in the NCAA tournament with an interim head coach. So he was implicated in that same scheme, the Adidas scheme with the FBI. And Mike, you just don't understand. I, I just don't think you understand how tremendous, tremendously lucky we are to be able to have Kansas basketball as as a role model of, of all programs across the country on how to operate. He's such Um, a dummy. He didn't need to do it either. He's been a really good coach for a long time. He's so dumb. I don't get it. You know, I, so uh, again, congratulations, the NCAA for a tremendously uh, entertaining tournament and uh, for always putting integrity uh, and, and, and following the rules above all. I I appreciate that. Mark Emmer, too, real in touch with the game, calling him the Kansas City Jayhawks, which, <laughs> Jesus, dude. Um, and the, the one I didn't even I'll hear say, that. Yeah, he was presenting the trophy, and he called him, I'll send you the clip, called him the Kansas City Jayhawks, <laughs> uh, cr- quickly corrected himself, a little Freudian slip there, but not great. And then the one other thing I'll mention, too, is this Kansas championship is probably going to get vacated anyway, right? So, like, uh, why even? Also, see, by the at way. at this point, it doesn't matter. Can, can we also talk? I, I don't want to ramble long too long. I know, like, yeah, we, we've been talking for about an hour. But is there a dumber punishment in all of sports than, and you only see it at the college level, than vacating wins? It's like, no, that game didn't actually happen. Reggie Bush, meanwhile, is like, oh, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> like, it's, it's so dumb. And they did it with, um, you know, Paterno, right, when all that, all that stuff happened with Sandusky and they vacated his wins. And it's like, yeah, these, uh, he was like one of the winningest head coaches in the history of the sport. I think at the time he was right. He won over like 800 games or whatever it was. And they were like, oh yeah, um, actually just kidding. Like we vacated like three or 400 of your wins. It's like those games happened, you know, it just, yeah, seems, and, 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 and you know, dumb. and you know, what's awesome too was, um, you know, while we're talking about the tournament, when Carolina beat Duke in the final four, you know, Nike in all of their glory uh, tweeted out that you can't spell coach without K. And um, I, I don't know what the final numbers ended up being, but like shortly after they tweeted that they were ratioed to 
the shadow realm and yeah. um just you know the, the the overall infatuation with mike krzyzewski was really kind of sickening to it watch i under, i understand that he's one of the greatest coaches in any sport yeah um but you know speaking of integrity this is another guy who five years from now may get talked about as you know being underhanded about the zion williamson recruitment uh-huh. uh which has already been talked about so like spare me all of the all of the bloviating you know just uh well you heard him you heard him at his press conference it's not about him oh no no it's not about coach k Could not, not even a little bit yeah I, nike just sorry that was that was a that was one of the biggest swings and misses i think i've ever seen it was hysterical didn't they also say something about like you can't spell championship without k i actually wrote an article about that one for uh, the extra mustards the extra mustard page on sports (laughs) illustrated it's like our it's where all the articles are written about like parody stuff you see online stuff is printing i wrote an extra mustard article about that and i included some of the tweets uh that you know some of the reply tweets and the quote tweets to that and i was only scratching the surface but there was some there was like at least at least the C and coach makes the same sound as a K, right. but in championship, like, you, uh, I don't know. It's like uh, we're really stretching. Needless to say, I'm very happy that the NCAA tournament is over. Like, I was, as, as soon as Tech lost, I was straight up not having a good time. Yeah. I lost, I lost three Final Four teams in the first weekend. <laughs> and by the first weekend, I mean, like, the first round, like, the first two days of the games. I lost three final four teams. So yeah. I was like, okay, this bracket sucks. This tournament sucks. And then Carolina kept winning and Kansas is winning. And I'm like, okay, great. I get to watch these two programs duke it out, which again, I should be thankful that I got the opportunity to watch that. I'm just absolutely blessed. Uh, and then of course the, the constant, uh, just the, uh, loviating. I don't, I, I don't want to say the kind of the, the, I don't want to say it live to what I'm referring to, but I'll say it after we stop recording. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and of course, and of course, CBS put Jim Nance on every Duke game in the right. tournament, right? right. Like, like, like Grant Hill got to call his alma mater the entire time. Like right. just it's at, like poor, poor Bill Raftery, right? Like you're stuck watching Duke the entire tournament. You don't get to watch any other team. The entire time. And Raftery's so Raftery's like a thousand years old. He's so good at his job still. Yeah. It's like I want to listen to this for Raftery and Raftery only. Yeah. Like anyway, I know that was like the longest closing segment of the hokey hangover we've probably ever had. Uh rate review subscribe. Yeah, rate review subscribe. We are once again sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy. Uh Andrew was at the final four in the national championship. So yeah, wearing a Duke shirt. So wearing a Duke shirt. Um, I understand that he's got familiar connections to Duke, but I think both of you, uh, need to turn in your fan cards, uh, quite honestly. Um, Mike, the only way you can redeem that shirt right there is if you put that piece of tape back on it. Yeah, man, Um, it's the softest shirt ever. So, (laughs) continue getting worn. But yeah, Andrew certainly got to experience one hell of a, an event in New Orleans. Um, games were good. so, So at least you saw that. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I remember specifically thinking, all right, well, Kansas is done. Like, <laughs> like we can just stop watching now. And then they and went. then yeah, 
yeah. So um, there were there were a few comebacks like that in the tournament, which were nice. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I did not stay to watch the one shining moment. Like I'm, I've never really been that big into it. I know some people think it's like I went to sleep the whole watch the next of day. content, but um, yeah, not not really my thing. Yeah, watch right. it the next day. That's what social media is for. <laughs> yeah. So. Rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast with your buddies. Uh, we'll pro- we'll definitely get a pot out before the spring game. Uh, I think we should talk about, you know, like specific things that we need to see in the spring game to feel really good about going into the summer. Uh, we can talk a bit more about quarterbacks if the Hokies name a starter, which they hinted could be a possibility, uh, but they're not going to rush it. So we'll see what happens. So expect the podcast uh, early, mid next week. Um, kind of preview in the spring game. Uh, Andrew should be back then, hopefully. Um, if he's wearing a Duke shirt, we'll just ban him from the show. So, uh, again, thank the Duke, you. The Duke shirt gets banned before the Georgia back one. Yes, absolutely, considering it was for Duke basketball, without yes. question. <laughs> yes. Um, but so for Mike McDaniel, I'm Rick the Blue. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.